Let us pray. Yes, Lord, fill our cup as we come seeking to listen for your word, to be fed by this community through song and prayer and scripture and fellowship. We pray now as we open up your word that all other voices would be silenced, that we would listen anew for what it is that you have to share with us this day. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, the 13th chapter, verses 31 through 33. Listen for God's word. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in their field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and take nest in its branches. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For the past few weeks, we have been working through these parables in the Gospel of Matthew. Parables are stories And they tend to be stories that make us question, wonder, and imagine. And today's parables do just that. Last week, we talked about the challenge of admitting or even saying, I don't know. We heard a story about the children who seemed bound and determined not to say, I don't know, but instead we're going to say yes or no to answer questions that were quite ridiculous, but they were sure it was either a yes or a no. Questions like, what color is the heaviest, red or yellow? Although I've been thinking about that this week, and I'm pretty sure that red is heavier. (laughs) I wonder what it would be like to have a teacher like Jesus today a teacher who doesn't give you a direct answer, but answers you with a story or images, seems to turn logic on its head. For some of, the, of us, this might be really freeing, and for others, frustrating. Why do you think that Jesus taught like this? I believe that Jesus longs to be in relationship with us and to empower us to know that we are God's beloved children. I think that that is a message that is clear throughout Scripture and that we are to embrace, that we are children of God and we have what we need to be the full creation that we are intended to be. In today's parable, the use of mustard seed and yeast might have been insulting to Jesus' audience at the time. Mustard seed plant 
and yeast are not necessarily considered positive things. A mustard seed plant grows like kudzu, invasive, and maybe it's not something they would necessarily want the kingdom of God to be compared to. And yeast, while it ultimately can provide, is actually decaying matter. We might imagine the look on the faces of Jesus' audience when he stepped out of the house and told these stories. Really? If I were Jesus' PR person, I might have suggested some other images to share when comparing the kingdom of God. Why don't you speak about celestial buildings and gold and light and space, grand things? These are more likely to impress your audience. But once again, Jesus does not need me for public relations. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He told stories. He shared parables about real life, farming, sowing, weeds, wheat, ordinary things of life, that his, uh, things that his audience would know about and would ultimately make them ponder, be curious about. Jesus is relational, meeting people exactly where they are. And one of the ways that I think that we keep God at a distance is by assuming that God is distant. But our scriptures tell us something very different. Jesus, whom God sent to earth so that we could be in relationship with God, he gets messy with us and walks alongside us and loves us just as we are. Theologian Amy Jill Levine says, perhaps this parable tells us that despite all our images of golden slippers and harps and halos, the kingdom is present at the communal oven of a Galilean village when everyone has enough to eat. It is present in everything and it is available to all. From the sourdough starter to the rain and the sunshine, it is something that works its way through our lives, and we realize its import only when we do not have it. Last week, we talked about how difficult it was to say, I don't know. But isn't it also difficult for us to trust that God has given us what we need. To have the confidence of the children of God to recognize that we are enough. Throughout the Gospels, we hear how countercultural Jesus' invitations are, like, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. To have this confidence of the children of God, 
to hear Jesus say, take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Jesus' way is different, and we are invited to a different way. We are invited to trust that we are beloved children of God. The world, our families, our own psyche can sometimes say to us, go for the biggest thing, the largest thing. We want our meals to be supersized and we want our performances to be a great success. But Jesus isn't interested in the outcome. Jesus is interested in our heart and how it is nurtured and grows. I wonder if his parables, which cause us to stop and think, are a way to help us slow down. To slow down long enough to recognize Jesus' presence in our midst. Have any of you played the latest New York Times daily game connection? There's Wordle. And I had a sermon about that once. And then there's Spelling Bee, which may be in the future. And now there is Connections, a word puzzle game where you have to put together sets of four words that match. It is tricky. There are a few words that will confuse you, well, at least me. But what happens when I play this game is I have to stop and think and consider options what looks like it is the for sure right answer might not be. If I want to get the right answer, I have to pause and consider the possibilities and turn my thinking on its head to wonder and try, try to figure out the answer with what I have at hand. Thankfully, there is grace in this game because you have four opportunities to make mistakes and then another chance. But it is a game, I feel like my microphone is jumping away. Okay. It is a game that turns my logic on its head. Jesus doesn't give us direct, formulaic answer of how to go from point A to B. We are invited to pause, to take into consideration, to wonder what it is that Jesus has put before us. This is the God that we worship. Jesus, who turns the world's way on its head, invites us to a new way. My world and the world of my family has been turned on its head, turned upside down. 20 days ago, my father-in-law, Don Collins, a member of our church, died unexpectedly and suddenly, and everything is different now. Different, most of all, for his wife, Sandy, of 54 years, my mother-in-law. Different for my husband, Rob, and for his brother, for our kids, for the rest of the family. It's different for me. And you wonder, how are you going to do the next thing when grief overwhelms you? As we look at our prayer list today, we see many of our friends who have entered into hospice care and others with serious diagnosis and others who don't want to be listed. So many are dealing with so much. 
each one of us walking around with a sense of helplessness also for wanting to care for those who grieve. There is a lot of pain, suffering, and disease in our midst. Can you feel it? At our deacons training this week, we took a little bit of time, we paused, we talked about the helplessness that we feel as we grieve personally and as we deal daily as learning more about church members, friends, and family members who are struggling. I shared with the deacons that the best thing that I am learning to do in my time of grief around my father-in-law's death and the grief that I carry for our church members, the best thing I can do is to remember that I am human, to acknowledge my sadness, and to have compassion for myself. Now, this might sound counterintuitive. Maybe you're thinking, Mary Kay, you should have compassion for others because they are grieving. But if I don't have compassion for myself first, I won't have the compassion to share. When I can pay attention to my sadness and name it, it is less likely to come out sideways, which could come out as anger or impatience or fear. When I care for myself first, I am much more capable of caring for Sandy and Rob, our kids, the congregation. So I practice, sometimes successfully, when I am overwhelmed with grief to stop and say a prayer. God, please help me with my sadness. Remind me that you grieve with me and help me to take the next step. When I allow for God's compassion to settle inside of me, I am then able to share that compassion with others. This isn't always an instant occurrence. Sometimes I need to stop long enough to realize there is great despair, and maybe I just need a good cry and to cancel the next thing that was on my to-do list. Other times, it is stopping long enough to recognize the glimpses of grace around me. Be it in the way one of my kids care for their grandmother or seeing a church member care for another, glimpses of God's grace. It is a practice, practicing trust and belief that God has given me what I need and that God's grace abounds. I need to recognize it and even lean into it. It is hard to say, I don't know, and it's difficult to say, I am sad or angry or afraid. It is also hard to say, I trust that God has got me and I am okay. Psychologist and theologian Shaniqua Walker Barnes has this to say about self compassion and how it is connected to our ability to love others. There can be no self-care without self-compassion, she says, which is compassion turned inward. It is the ability to connect to our feelings, to respond to our suffering with kindness, and to desire that our suffering decrease. 
Self-compassion prompts us to treat ourselves in ways that alleviate rather than cause or amplify our pain and suffering. While many Christians understand compassion, mercy, and kindness to be essential in our interactions with others, we don't always see that see these as core values for our relationship with ourselves. We neglect our self-care directly and indirectly, contributing to our pain and suffering. We judge ourselves for our own suffering, listening to the voice of our inner critic as it rehearses our shortcomings, our errors, and our deficiencies. She goes on to say, and this can be a bit of a hard pill to swallow, but she says, implicit in Jesus' commandment to love our neighbors as ourselves is the assumption that we are supposed to love ourselves. We are supposed to be kind and gentle, caring and nurturing, empowering and forgiving of ourselves. If we are unable to do this, ultimately, we may be unable to do it for our neighbors. And if we cannot love our neighbors whom we can see, we cannot love God who we cannot see. Self-compassion then is not indulgence. It is a necessity for true discipleship. Self-compassion, kindness to self, is not something selfish. No, it is what we, as beloved children of God, are to claim. We can remember our baptism and therefore our identity in Christ, that we are loved and that God's grace is sufficient. Something tangible that helps me, especially in these difficult days when there is so much sadness and concern for others and I feel helpless and not sure what to do. Sometimes I remember to touch my forehead, to put my hand up to my forehead. And when I touch my forehead and pause, I remember my baptism. I remember my identity in Christ. I may not fully understand or comprehend, but it is true. I am a beloved child of God. When I think I should be doing more, or when I'm tired, I just touch my head and remember to whom I belong. I do not belong to this world which tugs at me to do this and that. I belong to God, and so do you. And we can try to listen to what message God wants us to hear. It is not a message of do more, fix that, you're a failure, get busy. No, it's a message of grace, of love, compassion, empathy, and peace. I take that moment to be refueled and refreshed and to rest in understanding what God's rest really looks like for my life. This is the God that we worship, a God who calls us beloved children, 
and who longs for us to know in our hearts that we belong to God and are loved. May it be so. Amen.